97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Wiggins, America. I am not a number. I am a free man. Wiggins, America. The only thing I'm going to need from you guys right now is a cup of coffee. Wiggins. Today's global economy waits for no man. America. Today's global business climate is like, whatever, dude. Politics is a dirty game. I'm not sure we want to play. There are forces here at work that you couldn't possibly understand. You have no idea how high up this goes. Welcome to Wiggins America. An old cowboy went riding out one dark and windy day. Up on a ridge, We're going to get to our guest here. It's Hans von Spakovsky. He's senior, fe- senior legal fellow at Heritage. We the people of the United States. More perfect. Our form of our perfect union. Heritage legal expert Hans von Spakovsky. Hans, thanks for making time for us going into a long holiday weekend here. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing great, and actually, like everybody else, I'm looking forward to the weekend. I was looking at topics to talk about with you, and the weird thing right now, Hans, is if you type in the word whistleblower, there are so many different whistleblowers from different government agencies talking about different angles by which either the agencies were working to conspire against Donald Trump, or they're working to protect Hunter Biden, or any number of things. So I started with that guy. His name's Garrett O'Boyle, uh, talking about how the FBI is a ten-headed snake that'll come after you if you try to come after it. Uh, where do we start here, Hans? Well, I'm telling you, this look. This is something that I've actually been talking about for years, which is that um, the the bureaucracy in Washington. This is the career civil servants it, all over the place. The IRS. The FBI is filled with um, left-wing ideologues, uh, and it's a real danger to the American public. That is now the problem in the FBI. And you have had uh, – look, he's not the only one. You've had one FBI whistleblower after another come out in the six months, last six months and talk about uh, everything from slow-walking the Hunter Biden uh, investigation – to uh, FBI wrongdoing in the January 6th investigation. And anybody who thinks these guys are just making this up, you obviously have not read the 300-plus page John Durham report, which extensively documents misbehavior inside the FBI. In fact, listen, that's the, it's the most devastating critique of a federal agency that, that I've ever read. Hans, is the Durham report making waves in Washington, D.C.? I mean, you, you said you've been talking about this for years, and now all of a sudden it actually is kind of becoming a news story. That has to be at least somewhat encouraging, but is anything happening? Well, folks on the progressive left, and particularly those in the media who helped um, propagate the false story of uh, Trump-Russia collusion, they're all trying to downplay it. I mean, I saw some host on MSNBC saying, oh, there's nothing to this report. Clearly, she hasn't read it. But um, it is being used by, and it's very clear that the Republicans are going to pursue those who are in the House. Look, they're pursuing this. 
they're the ones that are bringing in the whistleblowers before their committees. They're the ones that are getting this information out. And look, we're going to talk about the FBI, but look, we've got IRS whistleblowers now also coming forward. Why? Well, because they've been involved in the Hunter Biden investigation because their claims that he laundered foreign money and also didn't report all the income he, he's gotten. And they say that uh, the IRS has done everything it can to prevent an investigation of Hunter Biden and, and his family. And like, and like one of them, uh, IRS agent Gary Schaefer, look, he's a 14-year veteran of the agency. You know, he's, some not, he's not some recent Republican political appointee. He's a career guy, and he's saying uh, the agencies have done everything they can to try to prevent uh, this investigation from going forward. At the same time that, of course, they did everything to accelerate and hurry along the Trump investigation when, as Durham says, they had no corroborated evidence of any kind to even open it up. Yeah, like you said, these are not interns that are holding a glass up to a door and then going to their friend and saying, oh, I think I heard this. You're talking about right. people who have been with these institutions for a long time. I actually got a clip from Gary Shapley, who you were just mentioning from the IRS. Here he there is. There was multiple steps that were, were slow walked at the uh, direction of, of the Department of Justice. Had you ever encountered that before? I have not, no. These deviations from normal process, that, and, and, and each and every time it seemed to to always benefit the subject. Hans, is this a recent phenomena? Is this something that was always there, but just we're now talking about it? Or is this a, a product, again, of everybody says they can do anything they want if, if it's Donald Trump? You just kind of throw the windows or the rules out the window. No, this, this is a long-term problem. Uh, I saw this problem when I first moved to Washington, which was just shortly after 9-11, that's when I first got to Washington, took a job at the Justice Department. Uh, I saw it then inside justice, inside, for example, the Civil Rights Division, the Environmental Pro uh, Protection Division, all of which were stocked with, with individuals who, if they weren't working for the government, would have been working for um, LULAC or uh, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights or the Sierra Club. Um, but it, has, it got worse during the Trump administration, uh, and it's to a point today where uh, it, 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 it's really bad. And again, uh, you cannot read the John Durham report and come away saying there are uh, severe problems inside. And, and by the way, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, the assistant uh, director of the FBI's counterintelligence wing, which was uh, a key part of the uh, in, uh, pushing that hoax, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax investigation, she was just at a hearing before the House, and when the uh, representative from Texas started asking her questions about it, she said she hadn't read the report. That, that report details the problems in her office, and she hadn't bothered to read it. That, that right there is a sign of just how troubled the FBI is. Yeah, and the IRS, like you mentioned, because they're coming from every angle now. I, I've got an article here that it's talking about, uh, and this is from Washington Times, talking about how the IRS was working overtime to probe journalist Matt Taibbi. Uh, so it's not yeah. just people that are on the Hill. I mean, this, this, we're talking about journalists now that they're going after. Yeah, and, and let's not forget, um, we're talking about whistleblowers and everything else, but look— uh, 
we now know that uh, for years the FBI and potentially the CIA were secretly not only working behind the scenes with but paying social media platforms like Twitter and others to censor and close the accounts of Americans whose opinions they didn't like. That kind of government censorship is simply unacceptable. And, you know, so far, the FBI hasn't apologized for that at all. No, no. And and we are really in uncharted territory, at least in my lifetime, of seeing things even like a select subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government existing. You know, these are things that it seemed like Congress was pretty cozy with well, that's just the way it is, but we, we now have people right. who are actually willing to take this on. Daylight is a great disinfectant. It's just a matter of, Hans, what happens from here? You know, I mean, legally, what can Congress even do to rein this in? Well, I tell you the biggest thing that they need to do is actually two things. The first is, um, remember, the House of Representatives, which is controlled by Republicans, they have the power of the purse. And they need to use the budget process to start punishing particular agencies and particular offices by radically reducing or eliminating their budgets. That is the way that is the way to, um, frankly, get rid of bad people and to make them take uh, notice that they've got to change things. And frankly, uh, the other thing is what they're doing right now with those kind of committees on weaponization holding committee hearings, bringing in witnesses, and bringing uh, the public's attention to everything that's going on. I mean, that's, that's the two things they can do is investigations and bringing, making it public, but second, using the power of the purse to go after those agencies and the offices within those agencies that are engaging in this behavior. Hans, one of the last thing I, I wanted to talk to you about before we run out of time here is I saw reports last week that there was a whistleblower that this subcommittee was asking to talk to or was asking for the files of, and the FBI was just saying no. Um, now, may, that may have changed. I don't know which whistleblower it was because, like I said at the beginning of the segment, there's been so many, I'm having trouble keeping up with who's who. So maybe that person has come out since then. But it looks to me as an outsider looking in that what we've got is is two branches of government. We're supposed to have, you know, executive, legislative, and judicial. It seems like we've got those three, and then we've got a whole bunch of other ones now that think they're above those three, and the, the feud is happening on Capitol Hill. Am, am, I, am I assessing that correctly, that, <clears throat> that the FBI is, is almost looking like they think they're above Congress in some of this? Yes, they are. And again, that's why House, the House has got to use the power of the first to hit the FBI and hit them hard. To show them who's boss. Exactly. Hans von Spakovsky, always appreciate your insights here. Thanks for your time. Sure, thanks for having me. Yeah.
All right, I'm going to try to collect my thoughts here because this is a sharp turn from where we've been. We've been talking about politics. But there are things related to that that are bigger in nature. And, (laughs) man, how do I even get into this? Just tell you. Ricky Schroeder, who as an adult goes by Rick Schroeder from, uh, what's the show, Silver Spoons, when he was a kid. He was a star as a kid. He was a blonde little uh, cherub and was very well known and still is well known really just from that show. I'm sure he was in some other stuff too. But he came out this week and posted a video from who knows where. It looks like he's standing in the desert or something or maybe he's got a property out in the west somewhere. And uh, said some really serious stuff. I probably shouldn't comment on it until I play it. I've broken it into three parts, but it's the full clip. I'm not, I'm not leaving anything out here. Here is clip one from Ricky Schroeder. Let me explain. When I was young, I couldn't drive yet. Uh, I was hanging out with the older guys. Uh, and I'm Point Doom and... Somebody popped in a cassette tape into a VHS player, and there was a room with a body, I believe it was a male, laying on a table, and uh, people came around the room, it was dimly lit, but they had hoods and robes on, and uh, they had some sort of ritual where they took out a knife and they cut him down the side was his right side and they took out parts of him and the blood started flowing and they were chanting and um, some there was women there and they took off their clothes and then they took the blood and they smeared it on their bodies and started to be sexual with each other it was uh, quite disturbing to see Okay, this is Ricky Schroeder when he was a kid. Somebody pops in this video and shows him this. Now, you've probably seen, if you're on the internet at all, you've probably seen or you, and you look at Twitter or you follow anybody remotely conservative, you've probably seen videos of celebrities in some cases um, talking. Corey Feldman did like a whole movie about this that I really, I never watched, but I never heard anything really of substance come out of that movie. But he said stuff happened to him as a kid, like pedophile stuff. Now this isn't necessarily Ricky Schroeder saying that, but he is saying somebody showed him a video of somebody being, I assume killed on a table and then women acting out sexually in the blood. So, your questions are as good as mine. Why is somebody showing this to a child, and what is it? He had some of those same questions that he answers in the next clip, which I'll play. They gave me the cassette, and I took the cassette to somebody I trusted, and I, we watched it, and uh, they said, never watch that again and give it back to whoever gave it to you. So I did that, but I was always confused about why they didn't ask where it came from. Yeah, so nobody's protecting him as a child, although it sounds like this person 
who he said, I have this tape, and the person said, don't ever watch it again. Give the tape back to who gave it to you. Was trying to protect him in a way, but not enough. I mean, he had still seen it. He'd been around people who were obviously doing something very, very wrong in showing this video to a child. And then what were they trying to get out of it? What were they trying to get out of Ricky Schroeder? Um, the person who was looking out for him also, why didn't they do more? Now, these are all, I think, very, very valid questions to be asking. And he goes on to sort of answer some of these in what he believes is the intentions behind, A, the people who showed him the video and maybe even the people in the video, and then why people didn't speak up more to go after this. I mean, this is like criminal. I mean, if they're literally killing somebody on video, which I think is the implication there, this is criminal. And then showing pornography to a child is criminal, or at least we used to consider that to be criminal. Now we put it in books and the left fights for them to be stay in schools. But my point in bringing all of this up <clears throat> is that there are people now who have been in Hollywood, and I would say he probably isn't really anymore. I, I mean, if, if you've seen him in some things recently, let me know. Good for you. Good for him. But I, I haven't. So I, I can't say that Ricky Schroeder's got this huge career, but he's, he's well-known still. He's pretty well-known as a former star. And so I'm sure he's the kind of guy that if he shows up in a restaurant, people go, oh, there's Ricky Schroeder. You know, he's, he's a, a big enough celebrity. He was there at one time. And that's where you're seeing a lot of these videos come out. Jim Caviezel just had a video come out that's not exactly the same. He wasn't a child star. And he's not saying people ever showed him things. But he came out and talked to actually Steve Bannon's war room of all places and outlined some stuff involving Epstein Island and how there are other islands like it. That you're like, dude, how do these people know this? I guess there is this elite ring that Jim Caviezel had been in at one point, probably pre-Passion of the Christ, when you're a movie star. Maybe you get invited to the cocktail parties at these islands. Or maybe you get invited into cults, like Ricky Schroeder is talking about. Uh, if you've ever seen Angelina Jolie, there's a video of her talking about this kind of stuff. And that one's unique because she didn't intend for it to be a video. Somebody covertly took video of her probably 15 years ago, outlining an experience that actually sounds a lot like what Ricky Schroeder is talking about. And individually, I've seen these things for a few years, and they pop up and you go, man, what the heck is that? Is this just some weird isolated incident? I don't know. But when they, there's so many of them now that you go, there's, there is something going on. And maybe they're just pedophiles or cult members, but maybe it means more. Because people like to attach a lot more meaning to that. Ricky Schroeder did. He said, here's what I think this means. Now, it doesn't mean he's right, but he's closer to it than I am. So this is a longer clip of him explaining what he thinks all of this means. And so I believe that I met some of the cult members when I was younger. If, in fact, we have no accountability or justice... It could be because these people that are supposed to bring us justice and protect and defend the Constitution are corrupted by this cult. I have no fear of them. You know, I only fear Jesus. And so perhaps whoever's investigating these folks 
needs to go we need to go a layer below the top and come up from the mid-level who are not cult members or been blackmailed by the cult possibly because uh, that's the only explanation I have for why we haven't had accountability and justice for what they've done to America and continue to do to America while we all just watch so I share this with the hope that those mid-level people that are investigating in the FBI and the CIA will understand that their superiors perhaps will never give us justice because of the level of blackmail involved. All right, that's off my chest. That feels better. Now you all know. God bless America. And God bless those trying to defeat this cult. In Jesus' name, I give you this message. Amen. I don't really have anything to add to that. I just wanted to get it out there because there's so much of that stuff out there. Trust him if you will. That's up to you. We'll take a short break. We have Old Roy coming back here for the next set. with us thank you for doing that by the way yep um i wanted to just bring up a, a story that i brought up actually a couple weeks ago that I'm, I'm circling back around to just to get your thoughts because i we had a, a lively discussion about it with uh, the annie fry show team and i wanted to bring it to you the headline here is conservative teenagers are generally happier than their liberal peers a study finds this is from columbia university and it's funny because the more you dig into Columbia University's findings, the more you find that they're trying everything they can to undermine their own study. <laughs> but the facts, according to them, are bearing out that conservative teenagers are generally happier than their liberal peers. Why do you think that would be? I think that's an easy one. I don't even need a study for that. <clears throat> the, do tell. Well, the progressive and liberal mindset it's it's entirely based on negative thoughts it's on envy jealousy vengeance it's always somebody out to get you that the whole everything about recruiting and developing and maintaining a, a base liberal or or democratic or whatever uh, marxist all of that is all based on 
negative thoughts. You have discontent. To, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> and and you, you almost have to foster it to even have the movement. Correct. Right. And I think the conservative people and the conservative side of things is generally there's potential. There's there's always hope. the high road. <laughs> yeah. There's there's actual hope. And and it's so that I mean that's kind of a no brainer to me. It seems like that I saw that headline and I was like, well, duh. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just you think about what what stirs on the left. And it's always the fight. It's always the, you know, the man, you know, and it's, you just don't see that in conservative circles. Yeah, I would say, and, and when you project that onto a kid or a teenager, yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you, you create an environment for a kid, as we know, kids like boundaries and rules, or at least understanding what they are. You know, we don't want to break them too, but you, you, you have to have boundaries as a person in general, but especially for a kid who's trying to figure out the world to have security and to be safe and feel happy. And the the conservative ideology without trying to does provide that by saying there is a right and a wrong. It's very clear. And here's what's right. And here's what's wrong. And that, that shifts around. I'm not going to say it does. I'm not, if you tie that to something like Christian or Judeo Christian, that's not moving around, but conservative issues are daily politics and they do move around but they're still providing a boundary and saying well here's the boundaries this is right this is wrong whereas a liberal far leftist mindset especially is basically saying you do anything you want you find your own happiness and that is impossible right especially for a kid they don't know they have no idea who they even are yet, and we're telling them, you decide your own happiness. You get to decide anything you want. There are no boundaries on anything, and therefore, you will be happy because you will find yourself. Well, guess what? Nobody knows who the hell they are, right? especially at that age. <clears throat> and so you, you, you need those parameters to help you figure out who you are, and without them, you're unhappy. That's really interesting because I... <clears throat> I was thinking from the standpoint of, well, you, you mentioned the, the hope. I think for these these radicals who are behind a lot of the left, you know, the, the, their motivation is is anger, right? But what's happening with the younger generation is they're not that motivated to fight. So what's the alternative is just, well, there's no hope. Give mm-hmm. up because it's all against me. So that was kind of my thinking, but what you just said made a lot of sense. Well, it's both that that there there's if there's no parameters, you know what 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 builds self esteem, what builds motivation and hope and all of that is is success and is experiencing positive. Um, I don't want to say yeah you know, yeah advancement or right. whatever. And if and if you're if you're saying ah there's no rules just go do it, you're right. A, a young mind, a young young people aren't gonna. They think what makes them happy is a whole bunch of, you know, chocolate and I mean, it's it's basically hedonism. Yeah, I mean it's just like experience the world it, it as, as intensely as you possibly can. Be happy. It's YOLO. Be happy in the moment, and that's it. That's all that matters. 
And it's clearly not. I mean, you're right. saying you are your own little god. You can do anything you want. And it and makes what you, you happy when you're eating chocolate cake for lunch, but <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sustain. It's a great example yeah. Yeah, of so many things. I want to just conclude by re- it's some of these paragraphs in this study are so funny because that you can tell that these are liberals doing the study at Columbia University and they don't they're trying to frame this mm-hmm. I mean they they're kind of doing what we're just talking about we're trying to sort of reframe everything um, they said researchers qualified their research stating quote conservative ideology may work as a psychological buffer by harmonizing an idealized worldview with the bleak external realities experienced by many like it's a coping mechanism right. like we understand reality they're 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 not quite they're just they're, they're, they're happy because they're delusional yeah they're, yeah, they're delusional <laughs> that basically is what they're saying um and that liberals faced quote a series of significant political events such as follow me here the election of a black president in 2008 well wouldn't that make you happy <laughs> I mean, th- this is a liberal president advancing racial justice, and they're saying that that is a significant political event that would have caused them distress. Liberals, that's what they're saying. And the Great Recession and student debt crisis and Republicans taking control of, control of Congress eventually and President Donald Trump in 2016. I, I, okay, I get you can say all those other things, but the first one you led with is... We won. (laughs) I don't know what, like what, but these, Hey, these people are in charge of universities. So uh, just, just to conclude here, the study pointed to events like war, climate change, school shootings, structural racism, police violence against black people, pervasive sexism, sexual assault, and rampant socioeconomic inequality that quote, became unavoidable features of political discourse that might have prompted youth movements to promote direct action and political change emerged in the face of inaction by policymakers to address critical issues. So just, so just that's to like, exactly what they're, they're saying is that normally all of these things spur on uh, extremists and, and radicals, and that's not happening and because these kids are too sad about it. And the ones that are happy are just deluded because they're not realizing how bad everything is. Yes, that that's exactly what they're saying. Here's a litany of issues that we all agree. No matter who you are, you have to agree that these are the problems of today. Yeah, like, right. like just assuming. And the only way that conservatives are happy is that they're just really not kind of addressing any of these problems. Like, right. It's like it's like how condescending. Of your own study. I mean, right. these are your results. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was, I thought that was very, very funny, um, but also indicative of where we are. And I, th- I think it's 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 important to look at some of those things because of, I don't know. We're all seeking happiness. You want your kids to be happy. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying like be a conservative to be happy, but you know, do things that work, and then you'll find out. You know what? I'm generally happier. I think that's right. that's that's even the way I approach the world, let alone conservatism. Is I, I think these things work. That's why we talk about them. Anyway, uh, we'll take a break. Roy, thanks for being here again in this hour, and we'll be right back with one more segment of Wicked America. Follow him on Twitter at Radio Wiggins.
Man, what a sad week for Tim Scott. Am I right? Dude finally announces he's been teasing an announcement forever. He gets maybe a day or two of coverage at best out of it, and then DeSantis just blows him out of the water. Nobody's going to talk about Tim Scott anymore. Eh, Well, such is the way of politics. We've been talking about that this weekend, of course, and we'll talk about it more. i got a couple clips I want to play for you here in a second. I wanted to also, though, mention a big thank you to Joshua. I don't know what your name is aside from Joshua, but uh, gave me a great review on Amazon for my novel called The Life of Human. He says thus, Ryan Wiggins' sci-fi dystopian story is a good mix of the 80s movie masterpiece Short Circuit and Stephen King's novel The Stand. Never thought about it that way, but I like that. He says that same mix also accounts for the trichotomy of blunt gruesomeness, humor, and emotional connections between the characters, especially how they relate to the titular robot, who is named Human, by the way. He does mention that parts are frustrating to read. Uh, Certain characters, specifically my comedic characters... But that is by design, as Wiggins writes these people, to elicit the groaning and eye-rolling shared by the other straight characters in these scenes. That's partially true. Part of it is that I just like writing comedy. Uh, as As a fan of dystopian lit, I wish I had more background for what was happening worldwide. That was a decision I made on purpose, to only focus on the characters and seeing the world through their eyes. Uh, More details about the initial incident or further details about the aftermath. I realize those are selfish ones because the story is compelling. Wiggins wanted to explore humans, the robot, relationship with these select humans, and that is what he did. So thank you, Joshua, and I really appreciate really any feedback on the book. You know, you write a novel. It took me 12 years to write The Life of Human, and any feedback, even negative, is appreciated. But, you know, positive is a little bit more appreciated, so... On Amazon, if you have read it or you have the book, I would appreciate the uh, the feedback. American Media Export. Wiggins, America. Now, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. It is what we've all been waiting for, and it's finally here. We'll see how this affects polling. That's my big question is, uh, what does it look like now that he's in? Does he get a bump from this? Does he not? I don't know that he will for sure. We'll know probably by next week because everybody's known or at least been pretty sure that he's going to run. But it's going to affect the way Trump and DeSantis both approach basically every single policy issue. Now, let me make the case before I dive into some Trump stuff here that I think this is actually good for both of them. A lot of people say the exact opposite, that when you have two candidates who are major contenders on one side, which you do now, and they bloody each other up for an entire primary, one of them is going to come away the winner, but they're going to be badly damaged by the time they get there to face the opponent, which in this case is going to be Joe Biden, with very little pushback. <laughs> RFK is doing very well in polling, by the way. like He continues to rise, but... Not important because they're not going to have debates. Joe Biden is going to be coronated more than nominated to be the uh, runner for the Democrat side. So whoever comes out of the Republicans is going to face Biden, and one of them is going to be bloodied up. Now, I think that actually bodes well for whoever comes out of the Republican side because all the attention, all the attention is going to be on them. And yes, most of it will be negative because we have a very partisan media, but The attention is kind of what matters because people, while they they, they've said before that media sometimes can can shape what people are thinking about, but it won't shape how they think as well. 
Now, that's a very old study. Maybe things have changed since I was in college, which I think is when that study came out. But I've always thought that was interesting. In this case, I kind of agree with that, that if you keep highlighting the the policies and principles of Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis as they grind at each other, then you're going to come away with a population that knows much more about the issues that they stand for and where they hopefully stand on them than what Biden did. And we'll have a lot of comparison to what Biden's done because he's been in the office for four years and nothing really great to show for it. Nothing that you can come away from the last four years as an average American and say, oh, you know what we're really better off on is blank now. I mean, really, what? Please tell me. Please tell me. At Radio Wiggins on Twitter or buy my book and leave me a review about that. I don't care. That review is a review. Uh, But here's the audio I wanted to play from Trump today. This is one of those issues that's going to divide between people and going to divide between candidates. Love to know what you think about this. This is Donald Trump talking about abortion. Well, I think the incentive is great, and I think the concept of adoption is fantastic, and uh, it could go a long way, and it's something that I would be supportive of, very supportive of, and we'd get that done. I don't even think that would be a very difficult thing to get done. So that's him talking about not just abortion, obviously. He's talking about adoption and making a much more robust incentive program at the federal level for people willing to adopt. Now, I don't love government intervention into things, but if you had to have government intervention into something to encourage something, adoption is a great, great, great one. And it's odd because as I play that clip, I I didn't leave the question on there, but the person asking the question, I think was from News Nation or Newsmax, uh, somebody I wasn't familiar with, they almost set up the policy for him. (laughs) So I don't know that this is something he's been thinking deeply about, but I wouldn't be surprised based on his reaction to it there, if he hadn't already maybe thought about it, but will adopt it now. Because that's kind of the way he goes. He hears something good and he goes, that's mine now. (laughs) Um, So I wouldn't be surprised to see Donald Trump talking a lot more about how he's going to focus on adoption. Now, how does that differ from Ron DeSantis? Well, I'm sure Ron DeSantis is also for adoption. And in fact, a lot of times with these things, we're splitting hairs. But they want you to split hairs because they want to see a difference between the two so that you'll vote for them. With DeSantis, he has been a little bit further right on abortion and more conservative than Donald Trump has. Personally, that's where I'm at. I'm very, very conservative on the issue of abortion. But I also don't really have a problem with where Trump is on the issue. He has said that he doesn't really support federal legislation on abortion restrictions, that it's something that should be left to the states. And then he always says, look, I'm the one who even got it to the states because you elected me and I got three Supreme Court justices in that overturned Roe versus Wade. And he's right about all of those things. I actually don't have a problem with that stance. Now, if DeSantis wants to run further right of that, He seems to be doing it probably out of trying to create a difference between he and Trump. Is that a bad difference? I don't know. Is it a winning difference? That's the big question. Because right now, abortion is a hot political topic, social political topic, that the left is probably going to run. They won't have much to run on in 2024. Expect to see a lot about social issues like abortion. They're going to say that Republicans do book bans, which is ridiculous. In fact, they ban more actual content than Republicans do. Republicans are banning strictly sexually explicit material from schools, and the left is calling that book bans. Because they know that nobody's going to check them on it. 
And it sounds good to say. So let's wrap and just say that I think you're going to see a lot more distinctions like this. And maybe you might be, <laughs> they, they want you to, to make a choice on the two candidates. And I'm here telling you on abortion, I, I don't really have a preference. I really just want whoever's going to win. In fact, if I'm a single issue voter, I want to vote for whoever in the primary between Trump and DeSantis is more likely to win in the general. I think I would prefer to see Trump get back in there and absolutely clean house because I know he will. But DeSantis might too. I just don't know. So either way, I think we got two good options. It's an enviable place to be. We have two better options than the left left has one option. I think that's pretty obvious. All right. That's it for this week. We'll stop there. If you want to get the podcast, type in Wiggins America. You can find that anywhere. You can rewind on the Odyssey app. We'll see you next week. Get more at 971talk.com.